Well, good morning and good evening, EPL State of Mind listeners. Welcome back for another highly anticipated episode. I'm your host, James, and while Sean is still belting out, you'll never walk alone in the cop due to his refusal to leave the stadium grounds for the entirety of his trip, Kyle and I will be stepping up our game to provide you all with the latest and greatest news during this red-hot EPL State of Mind title race season. So without further ado, buckle down and join us for some more footy fun with a potential scouse quip or two in Sean's honor. Kyle, welcome back, my friend. You and you and Sean switch, uh, switched spots there for your European travels. We did. We did. Honestly, great time out in Ireland. Uh, spent half the week sick. My girlfriend spent the other half the week sick. And now it sounds like Sean is getting sick. So nobody oh. travel to Europe. They will make you sick. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least if you combine, the two of you were at least healthy for the whole trip at one point. But glad to have you back, my friend. Uh, we'll be missing Sean today, but he is definitely in a better spot than both of us right now. He's got a game tomorrow that he's going to go see Liverpool play in the FL Cup. And then on Saturday, uh, he will be back at the Anfield looking and watching from afar in the stadium, watching the Arsenal game. But as always, glad to have you on the podcast again, Kyle. And we're going to start off with some hot news. And this is super hot off the press, fresh out of the oven. And it's Steve Cooper was finally sacked by Nottingham Forest. Even though two seasons ago he earned the, the Forest promotion, the backing was there for him. Nottingham Forest has spent probably the most money out of any of the recently promoted teams in years so far, and they just have not been getting it done. They obviously maintain their position in the English Premier League over last season, but that will only get you so far with the amount of money that they forked out. So another coach that is coming back is Nuno Espirito, and that is, uh, I'm sorry, it's a three-name one, Nuno Espirito Santo. And uh, he is taking over manager. You will remember his time, his quick stint in as a Spurs coach, as well as Wolves last year. So, despite setting you know five points, uh, sitting five points clear of the relegation zone this year for the Forest, they're not taking any chances lightly, especially with the true form that Luton's been coming in. Burnley looks like they might be kind of finding a second win. So there just really hasn't been anything good from the trees since they have not won a game since November fifth, ironically against Aston Villa which is a surprise win there. Nuno takes over in the East Midlands, looking to store his reputation after a disastrous spell, like I said before, at Tottenham that got him sacked in less than four months in the job. And previously, he had achieved promotion with the Wolves and earned them a European League football. So a lot of uh, exciting news. If you're a Forest fan, I think this is a great swap of gaffers, and I think there's a lot of opportunity to grow. I, I know Sean and I pointed out, I think it was in either last week's episode or the week prior, once we found out that uh, um, we had our first sacking of the season previously, that we thought that Steve Cooper was going to be on the chopping block, and it turns out that he his head was already off and rolling. Another bit of hot news here is in the realm of the English Premier League, and that's the amortization rule. The max now to spread a player's transfer fee over their contract is five years, and this rolled out hot just the previous week, which is in pretty much, I'm going to call it Chelsea's rule because they found a loophole last year that they were hiring or signing all these players from different leagues on six, seven, eight year contracts and spreading their transfer fees over that period of time. 
unlike a typical transfer, which is over five or three years. So that transfer fee was hitting their bank accounts or their books little by little over the course of those eight years, therefore lessening their potential losses, which is a really smart loophole. You have to give it to uh, Todd Bo uh, Bowley and Chelsea for finding that out. But a bigger round of applause for the 15 teams that voted uh, to change the rule to meet UEFA's rule that changed because of Chelsea as well to max the contract transfer fee over five years regardless. So that is now being in place. So the contracts that Chelsea did have already in place, like uh, Mudrick or Fernandez, are still grandfathered in. They will be able to spread those fees over the remainder of those contract years. So Chelsea got away with one, but thank you for establishing a rule that I think we can all applaud that will help keep the market value in check of these players. Kyle, any, anything on those first two? A bit of hot news before I pass it over to you for some exciting tournament play? Yeah, a little bit on the Nottingham Forest. I was a little surprised at that one, that they let Steve Cooper go right now. I mean, sure, you're five points clear. Steve Cooper, I don't think Nottingham Forest was in any position to make a title race, a top four race, a European football race. But uh, you know what? It is time. You're five points clear. You could be more for the amount of money they spent if it was done correctly. But what's interesting to see is Nuno is coming in. The next five games for Nottingham are Bournemouth in great form, Newcastle, Man United, Brentford, Arsenal. That is a gauntlet that they are about to go through with a brand new coach. Uh, I don't know. I might, I might have waited. Give, give a guy that's been with the team, give him a little bit more time because, I mean, this is going to be an interesting next month and a half for Nottingham Forest. I mean, absolutely. They're throwing him straight into the goblet of fire with that lineup. So that's a great shout. That's a great point. Not looking too happy for a Forest, you know, you'll, you'll get maybe the new manager bounce against Bournemouth and maybe that's what they're kind of banking on because Bournemouth is more in their their sights for, you know, potentially helping them fight that relegation battle. Um, and a reminder that Nottingham Forest is only a certain amount of points above the relegation zone due to the fact that Everton was deducted points, right? So without that, yeah. they'd be sitting... They would be sitting, well, actually, they're still below Everton right now. They're at 17th. <laughs> Everton, we'll talk about them later on, but Everton has gone on a tear ever since the point deduction. So uh, kudos to them. But Nottingham Forest, I think, are picking the right moment. They don't want to wait too long. We've been calling it for last season. We called it recently. Cooper had to go, not only because he's probably one of the most interesting and appalling-looking managers in the entire world. I can't tell if he's asleep half the time on those sidelines or just walked out of a hot box uh bus ride to the actual stadium but it was time for him to go but kyle tell us about something a little bit more exciting tell us about the fifa club world cup it's happening it's uh it's very exciting it's going to start midsummer in the june ides of june the 15th and it's going to go until the middle of july there have been what eight teams that have already been picked for it including man city real madrid chelsea bayern psg what is it inter benfica and porto and then we have four more that are going to make it they will be confirmed soon. We will be seeing the likes of some top-tier teams. This is a stunt. This is money. This is viewership. This is going to be a lot of fun to watch. And yeah. you can correct me if I'm wrong, but our games are happening in the United States for this as well. So that, correct. that's going to be damn exciting to go watch. You're going to get to go watch your favorite players, a bunch of legends. I mean, I wouldn't be crazy shocked if we see the likes of maybe... Saudi Arabian team with the likes of Ronaldo or someone like that just for, I mean, 2025, he'll be gone by then. Maybe, probably, he's a machine. 
But, you know, they're going <laughs> to pick the best teams in the world that people want to watch to come watch this sport. This is going to bring soccer to a new level in the States. I'm very, very excited for this. Uh, some people are excited. Some aren't. I am very upset that Pep Guardiola is very excited about this. Why should he be excited? I don't understand this. Focus on what you got to focus on. But that brings us right into the Champions League and the drawings in the Champions League. And I have a fat shit-eating grin on my face once again this time of year <laughs> when Man City chooses Copenhagen. I mean, and I say chooses because at this point, we basically get to choose. <laughs> it is just fantastic. Every year. Every year. Every it's year. ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you got you get the easiest one. Port, they, they, gave, Come on. they gave Copenhagen, I believe, a 5% chance of advancing. And I think that is generous, especially going up against Manchester City. But it is what it is. But tell us about the the other the other lineup that we have here. Uh, well, I mean, Arsenal Porto. That's going to be fun. The big games, though, Lazio Bayern. That's fire. I mean, we're talking about Lazio. They were in the, you know, they're they're in the top tier, top form right now in Serie A. Bayern doesn't lose games often in the Champions League, so that'll be a lot of fun to watch. Until Nap- the knockouts. To the knockouts, that's true. Napoli Barca, that's going to be fire. We can uh, count on Dortmund to beat PSV, in my opinion, and we can. I can almost count on Real Sociedad to beat PSG because everybody knows come the bracket stages in the Champions League, PSG looks like a little child's team, so should be interesting. Um, Inter versus Atletico, that's going to be fire. Inter's a finalist last year. Look for them to beat Atletico. That being said, it is never easy to beat and score on Diego Simone. He's one of the best coaches in the history of the sport. So we'll we'll see about that one. But <laughs> I am very pleased with these drawings. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure you are. I'm I'm actually pleased as well. I think Porto, um, you know, coming from the league in Portugal, I think it will be a bit of a challenge for them to to come up against probably one of the most informed teams in the in the current world right now with Arsenal. Um, I believe the first game is away for Arsenal. So I, I don't know what to take on that. I think maybe if we can go there, pick up a few key goals and, and a win there, I think we come home nice and happy. But there's nothing really to say about the City-Copenhagen matchup. I think that's done and dusted already. But the final little bit of hot news we had, a, it was spewing information and news this week and weekend. And I feel like it's something that we all should kind of touch pace touch upon and that is the AFC Bournemouth versus Luton Town match which was abandoned over the weekend with captain Tom Lockyer going under cardiac arrest collapsing on the pitch so it's been a crazy past few years for soccer but I don't think anyone can compare to how crazy it has been for the the Hatters captain Tom Uh, this weekend during the Bournemouth game which was tied 1-1 at the 60th minute directly after a Bournemouth Solanke, Dominic Solanke goal, um, Tom had had collapsed in the center of the pitch, halting play to provide medical attention to the Hatters captain. So it was confirmed that Tom was responsive when he was stretchered off the pitch about 10 minutes later on Saturday, but it was not his first time he had experienced this before. Sean had brought up to, I believe, the podcast last year that he had experienced this issue back in May of this year during the championship playoff final versus Coventry City, in which the Hatters won in order to gain promotion into the English Premier League. Tom did receive surgery over the summer and was medically cleared to play, but obviously our thoughts and our prayers got to him, his family, and his extended Lutontown family 
After all, Tom is only 29, so we hope to see a speedy recovery and a big shout out to both medical staffs from Bournemouth and Lutontown on their responsiveness and ability to get you know Tom under control and and guide him off the field properly. You know it's a scary thing. We saw this happen during the Euros two summers ago with uh, Christian Eriksen. He returned to the game as we all know. He plays for Manchester United right now. But to have this happen to you two times in one calendar year at the age of 29 is unfallible. So big shout out to Tom. Hope you feel better. Um, I think at this point, not to put expiration date on anyone's playing career, but I think it's time to to sit down and start asking the big questions if this is something that you you can continue. Um, I think Town will probably have the same opinion that a lot of the teams such as Inter had when Christian Eriksen went through this. It's, it's just a bit of a liability and one you just don't want to see the the man get hurt again or die. So big shout out to to the staffing over there and, and again, our, our thoughts and our prayers. Yeah, that was handled masterfully by both teams, 100%. Yeah, it's one of the first times in recent history in the English Premier League, I think that a, a game was abandoned uh, a, a little bit over midway through the game. Again, it was the 60th minute, and Solanke had a had a very nice finish to tie it up, um, which would have made his ninth goal of the season, um, and kind of piggybacked off of you know Sean and our conversation and shout out of of Big Dom. Essentially, last week's podcast we highlighted him and his performance, but obviously the health and the well-being and the mental well-being of all the players at the time come first. So I think the English Premier League, Bournemouth, um, and Lutontown handled that extremely well. But kind of segues nicely into our weekend roundup, considering that this was an event that happened during the weekend game. And the first big one, Good we had transition. some really big results. Good transition. <laughs> thank, you, thank you. That's what you, you pay me the big bucks <laughs> you know, below the table for. And I think the big match that up here for the week was, or the result uh, that has a lot of title race, uh, you know, results or, you know, effect is the Manchester City Crystal Palace game. It tied 2 2 at the Etihad. So it's tough to say it for you, but it's really happy to say for me. But Manchester City have now dropped as many points in 17 games this season as they did in their first 36 games of last season and are in 12th place in the current form table. So whenever we say current form table, it is the last five matches. So out of the last five matches, Man City are currently sitting in 12th place. And this is a fact that you dropped in here, so kudos to you, but Pep has never dropped 11 points in six games in his entire coaching career, no matter where he was. This was a, an exact reverse, essentially almost exact reverse game at Selhurst Park last season where Holland actually scored a late penalty for City to break the 0-0 tie and actually win the match for, for City at last year. So I think uh, one of the big shout-outs that you had also mentioned during the middle of the week was the Roy Hodgson's turning around ah. and smiling and laughing at Pep when Pep is reacting to a, a 90th or late minute penalty kick for for uh, for Crystal Palace. So a little bit of a taste of your own medicine there for Pep on a last minute PK from the old timing coach of Crystal Palace. But what's going on, man? What Tell me what you think about Pep right now, what your reactions are, and then we'll talk about more of, of, of a couple interesting facts that we have for City and, and the, how they compare to last year and the substitution issue that I think we all have. 
I, I mean, where to start? This is this is an abomination. You look at that starting lineup. You look at the score sheet for hell, like for fuck's sake. I'm not 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 cursing at this. This is ridiculous. We started an absolutely bonkers lineup. We have players like John Stones, Mateo Kovacic on the bench, Akanji on the bench, and you're starting Rico Lewis. Like who? Why? I, I don't understand why. Guess what? Rico Lewis, he scored. God damn it, that's why. But you know, you put you put Kovacic in. He scored this weekend against the uh, who, who would we play? The Aurora Red Diamonds. Great team, great victories. Throwing that in there, a little bit of positive in the negative. <laughs> but guess what? Kovacic finds the score sheet, and it's his true position. And if Stones is healthy enough to play, he should be playing. You make one sub in the game in the ninety-first minute, and you take out your goal scorer, and you put in Stones. And how'd that work for you? A penalty was awarded two minutes later. The game got tied. Absolute shithousery from Pep. He's trying too hard. He's trying to do this whole Pep ball. Guess what? Look at me. I'm going to start these youngsters. I'm going to put out a formation no one's heard about. And guess what? In years past, when you had the players, it worked. Right now, you don't have the players. You're riddled with injuries. You've traded your players. It's not the right thing to do at this point. And you need to be focused on two things, the Champions League and the Premier League. I don't want to see Pep Guardiola in the goddamn fucking interview room talking about how he's excited that Kevin De Bruyne is going to be back for the uh, Club World Cup and, and this, that, the other thing. Who gives a fuck? This is crunch time. This is when you play the most games in your season in the smallest amount of time. You need to save the right players for the right times. The right times are the Premier League and the Champions League. That's it. That's when you start your best players. And at this point, I'm sorry, the Champions League takes a back seat to the Premier League. You are four or five, po five points out of first place right now. Doesn't look like it's going anywhere in their current form. They've dropped 11 points in the last six games, like you mentioned. And it's time that you just start playing your game and you put in the names that people living across the world know. You don't put in these youngsters and go, you know what, I'm going to give them a chance. When you don't have players like Kevin De Bruyne out there that can put the ball on a golden platter for them and give them goals that anyone could score. I mean, I've, I've used the analogy before with Kevin De Bruyne on the field, a well-placed cone could score goals. You know what? He's not on the field right now. So you don't have that luxury. You don't have that ability. Oh, okay. To the game itself. God damn it, Manchester <laughs> City. You had so many more touches. I mean, we're talking 75% possession, over 800 passes compared to Palace's 280. Your pass accuracy. Which is ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. Through the roof. You know, 19 shots, nine on target compared to their five shots, two on target. Great job. Oh, it's guess what? You have considered the best striker in the world right now in Erling Holland. <laughs> How'd that go? How did that go? Doesn't matter how well, many he shots even on you the take. Pitch. Exactly right. He wasn't on the pitch. Who gives a shit how many shots you take? Nine on target. That's great. James, would you rather a shot go straight at the goalie or miss by an inch to the post? That's a tough one. I'd Definitely, rather, I don't know. But that's a tough one. <laughs> I'd rather it miss by an inch. You know what? Yeah. I don't care if it's right at the goal. You're putting at the goal. You're going to hope for the, oh, well, maybe he gets a deflection goal. No, you go yeah. for the, you go for the yeah. crazy shot that's going to win. I'm, I don't mm -hmm. care. It's it's these little ticky-tocky passes, and it's the, I'm going to take this shot real quick, boom, and it's safe. Boom, and it's missed. That's great. Guess what? Other teams are scoring on the few chances they have. It's called efficiency, and that's one thing that's sorely missed right now on this Man City side. So am I am I shocked that we didn't beat Crystal Palace? Not even a little bit. Palace has had our number for years. They yeah. they struggle every single time when they play that team. And honestly, Roy Hodgen, laughing in Pep's face, good for him. 
good. He should have been laughed at. He needed that. That's exactly what you want to see. I, I want everyone out there to go watch that little clip. Pep explodes in fury. Roy just turns them with this big, big old grin. And he's just, <laughs> yeah, picture speaks a thousand words on that one. It is great. Oh my God. It's an immortal picture. I hope they hang that in Palace's locker room for the rest of their life. It's fantastic. It's the new Mona Lisa. It's a new Mona Lisa, it's, my friend. It's dude, it is. It's moaning Pep. It's pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, you're right. And and even Sean from across the pond took a minute out of his time to send us a screenshot of the starting lineup for City. And I quote him, this is not a team or lineup that is going to win the league. And I think specifically we're talking about the center of the pitch and up, right? So you're looking at Alvarez being your main guy as number nine. I think he's capable of being the main guy, maybe not at City, but elsewhere. He's very capable. I'm a big fan of him. But then you have Foden playing directly behind him with Silva on the right wing, Grealish on the left wing, and then Rodri, and you mentioned it before, a 19-year-old in Enrico Lewis. You know, and the biggest thing for me, and we mentioned it over the past podcasts, and I think in the season preview when we talked about all of the the transfers that were going out of the club and not as enough like-for-like like transfers in is the depth that even on Man City is becoming an issue. If you look at the starting 11 that started in the Champions League final last season, only four players have been regularly featured in Pep's starting lineup this season. One of them being Ederson as the goalkeeper, the other being Diaz as the center back, the other one Akanji and Silva. And Silva is playing as a winger. You're missing the again the lacking of Mares that you didn't properly replace. Gunagon, KDB, Kevin De Bruyne, and Stones are all are losses. I mean, Stones, like you mentioned before, is healthy. He cannot be coming in in the 95th minute after the goal has been you know, made. It's a little bit too late there for Pep for you on that one. I mean, this would have been the second game in a row. It was the second game in a row that Pep won a full 90 minutes. Stone came in in the 95th. So he's got a full 90 minutes without a substitution for two games in a row, I believe. And and comparing that to the other teams, Pep has only made 48 substitutions in this entire season. Villa has made 67. Liverpool has made 74. And Arsenal has made 70. 48 substitutions. Is this because you just don't have the depth anymore, Kyle? Are you not confident that oh, you're no, having the, a like-for-like -like transfer anymore? The depth is there. I, I think this is a case of Pep Guardiola sticking to his game, and right now it's not working. I mean, you, you listed the four players that have been regularly in the lineup. Where's Phil Foden? He's been healthy all season. He's an unbelievable talent. Every time he comes in, he makes shit happen, and he still has to fight? No, 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 no. I'm here, just, just to clarify this, guys, I'm going to read off Man City's last eight goals. Scored by Micah Hamilton, Oscar Bob, Calvin Phillips, Jack Grealish, Rico Lewis, Marias Holbrotten, Mateo Kovacic, and Bernardo Silva. What? Where, where the hell is Julian Alvarez? Where the hell is Erling Holland? Where, where are the actual forwards? that you and I know about, that everyone knows about. Yeah, they might be a little hurt. Yeah, they might be saved for this game, for that game. But at the end of the day, you're losing games. And you have hundreds of millions of dollars riding the bench. Hundreds. I mean, you could make a starting lineup out of Pep Guardiola's bench those last three games that could fight to get into the Champions League in the Premier League. Like, it's, it's staggering the amount of wasted potential in that bench right now. So, 
you know, we it's not like we have any easy, easy games coming up. So something's got to get fixed. Something's got to get fixed fast on that team. Yeah, I mean, you, you were definitely missing Doku. You know, he's been out since December 4th with a leg injury. No, really, sh- not really sure when he'll be returning, which is why I think we've seen Grealish kind of filling in that role a bit more. But again, then then you're forced to put Silva on the right. Yeah, it doesn't mean, really make sense. Why don't you put Foden on the right side or something like that? Oh, well, but, that's not pet ball. I mean, the yeah. next game that we have in the Premier League is against Brentford. Honestly, we're not going to lose. I don't think. I don't think we get all three points unless something changes. This is going to be another one of those games where whether or not we take a lead, we fall on our asses, we start playing pet ball and start passing the ball back and forth on the defense, and something will go wrong. Well, you're actually. It, it, you don't have a game this weekend, actually, because of the, yeah, the, the, World the, Cup. the FIFA Club World Cup. So that Brentford game has been postponed, but you will be, I would say, facing an even more difficult challenge the following week against Everton home at Goodison oh, Park. Oh, for sure. I mean, and then we have our nice little Sheffield week, which is just guaranteed points. I'm very excited for that. Yeah, But then course. it's Newcastle, and right now it's Newcastle. They're a beast right now. I mean, you got players like, Longstaff out there. He looks like the best player in the Premier League right now. In my <laughs> okay. All there right. I think we're getting a little bit out of our uh, our depth here <laughs> with with what we're clarifying as the best players and things. This Premier week. League, All right. I'll, I'll say fire. this week. If you guys watched the game this week, Matty Longstaff was absolutely out of his mind electric. Yeah. Born, born and raised, I believe, and bred through Newcastle's academy. So you like to see that for, Great for name homegrown too. heroes. Can't hate long staff. I mean, fire. I will tell you, I, I completely disagree with you on, on Newcastle being on fire, but I will tell you what team who has been on fire for the past two seasons and is our next game of the weekend highlight. And that, of course, is the Arsenal versus <laughs> Brighton. Arsenal 2, Brighton 0 at the Emirates. And I just want to lead off with this quote from Deserby. And it is, I am disappointed. I'm not doing an accent. I can't do it. He's I'm Italian, but he's way it's way cooler. And I don't want to ruin it for him or for anyone else out there in the world. So I'm doing it in my white-ass voice. And that is, I'm disappointed for the result, but we deserve to lose. Arsenal played much better than us and deserved to win. We suffered a lot. I think Arsenal are one of the best, maybe this season, the best team in the Premier League. We are not used to suffering this way. We are used to controlling the game. We defended well and fought in a good way. But to be honest, they played much better much better than us. So, end quote. And I think that is a great way to summarize the game. We don't have to get into any real specifics, but it, it was complete and utter domination in a high pressing sense and I don't think a team has done it better than that display this season Arsenal had has broken Brighton's 32 goal game streak and kept them to a season low possession of 51 percent I mean this was other than the fact that Arsenal had too many good opportunities to close this one out earlier I mean Udegaard on his birthday the skipper had I don't know. I can't tell you how many shots he had specifically, but I'll tell you right now, actually, because I'm very curious about that. He had one, he had a 33% shot accuracy, two of them blocked, one was on target. He had three shots, but it felt like he had so much more. He constantly was cutting in onto his strong left foot, but couldn't make clean contact to put it on frame. So, and that's just one of the players that we weren't able to capitalize on our finishes, you know? And it will come, and it's very key that even with these missed opportunities, we're still getting results, right? 
So it's it, it's a very positive game. Havertz and and Jesus come away with a goal again. Havertz with the sign sealed stamp on the game, which was always great to see, especially with all the the ridicule and criticism he received for one his transfer fee, which I still don't think is justified. I won't say that it's justified, but I think that he is definitely working out to be much better than people anticipated from the beginning. And this, again, would have been a game that made me nervous last year. We talked about it in the look ahead last episode. But if we play like this every weekend, I have no problem, you know, standing by my stance that Arsenal are favorites to win this Premier League at the moment. But it was an impressive game and just really capitalize on more of our opportunities. And that's all we need. You know, very solid and back. Another clean sheet. Yeah, I mean, really I love... didn't have anything from Brighton. I love Deserby after this game. I mean, that's what a good coach does. Uh, how many times do we hear in the Premier League that a, a team loses to another great team? I'm going to just throw Ten Hag out there. He's been making excuses out the ass at his own player's expense. Pep Guardiola does it as well. He makes a lot of excuses. Deserby lost that game, goes to the media and goes, you know what? Not disappointed in us. Arsenal played fantastic. He went, he went the route of they lost because they played a better team. And Arsenal was the better team. He wasn't making excuses. He wasn't blaming any individuals. He was, I mean, even they kept over 50% possession. He, they played their game for the most part. It was just, he saw it and it was true. Arsenal outplayed the hell out of him. I love it when coaches do that. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one. I mean, Arsenal, I don't think will show up and play like that every single game, but they definitely showed up and, and played their hearts out at the Emirates Stadium this weekend. And, you know, it was, it was really impressive. You know, Saka was involved with the first goal, taking from another set piece from a corner oh, kick. It could, have been, more. Been the, it could, have, been it could have been more. It could have been more. Yeah, it, it could have been a lot worse, you know. So, you know, seeing our set pieces being the best in the league right now from corner kicks is is a great stat to have. Brighton didn't have any corner kicks throughout that game, and we'll we'll talk about, you know, the Liverpool corner kick stat too. But, you know, what do you got, Kyle? I mean, talk about a game that could have been more talk about a transition how about that liverpool man you game james yeah perfect perfect transition yeah i mean you want to you want to throw that set out first i mean first i guess we got to have to tip our hats off to sean for for bearing through what at the 85th 89th 90th minute my heart was racing out of my chest anticipating a winner from liverpool so i can only imagine what it was like in the cop for sean and if you guys have not checked out the instagram story that we had on Sunday definitely let us know we'll send that back to you Sean had a great video of he was probably what like seven rows oh god he was prime maybe six rows right behind the goal fantastic seats insane what a game to go see unfortunately I could not have been more wrong with my lock of the week I said over two and a half goals most solid to score and a Liverpool win zero goals scored this game Liverpool zero Man United zero XGs, though, speak a different story. Liverpool's XGs were 2.38 versus Manchester United's 0.75. And read some of these stats off, my friend, because this is this is ridiculous. I mean, I, I personally think Man used 0.75 XGs. I think they all came in the last 15 minutes of the game. That was, yeah. that was yeah. very entertaining to watch, whether or not there were any goals scored. That was just going back and forth, shitty defense, great offense, shot on goal, saved, or this, that, the other thing. Yeah, just to your point real quick, the XGs in the first half was 1.16 to 0.07. Yeah. So they didn't, they didn't see it. They had zero shots on target. They only had two shots. That's Manchester United. But, uh, yeah, I mean, one stat, uh, I'll let James focus on the cool stats, but one that I really 
really thought was interesting was the corner kicks. It was 12 for Liverpool, zero for Manchester United. When's the last time you heard a game with a team of Manchester United's caliber where they get zero corners? Zero. I mean, it happened recently once, but like, whatever, James, don't worry about that. But still, yeah. I mean, the for our FanDuel friends out there, the over was nine for the game. Manchester United was trying to kill that as hard as possible. Liverpool, <laughs> like, no, don't worry, I got you. And they just went out there with a dozen <laughs> ridiculous and i mean did you did you talk about the shots how many shots they had on on this game liverpool had 34 shots eight of which were on target versus manchester united six which one was on target and the one that they had on target was probably i'm not gonna lie to you probably the best opportunity of the game for both teams and that was rasmus hoyland's goal or goal opportunity that he shot straight into the chest of allison in, I want to say, maybe the late 70s, maybe a little bit later than that, which I really think would have turned the tables completely and, and would have deafened everyone over at at, at at Anfield. And and one thing to mention, and Sean kind of told us that the, the seating that he had and the atmosphere was incredible for the first 20 minutes of the game. And if you watch the first 20 minutes of the game, it was complete, utter domination by Liverpool on just being on the opposition's half, pressing, taking the shots, Granted, a lot of that wasn't quality shots. They were getting blocked very easily. It wasn't worked easily into the box for them. It wasn't. They weren't getting the right opportunities. They were kind of making Manchester United's defense look like the Great Wall of China. And the back line for Manchester United was Diego Dallo, Evans, and Varane, who we saw start for the first time in a while. We haven't seen the pairing of Evans and Varane in a while. And then Luke Shaw, who had a you know sub-adequate game, but they were making these guys look like superstars. So Sean tells us, you know, after the first 20 minutes, you could you could see and feel the frustration and the tension in the air that it was palpable in the second half from the from the from their seats because it was it was absolute silence here in the States. I was watching the game obviously one because it was a marquee matchup and two Sean was there. And I know Gary Neville came out afterwards from Sky Sports and said he had never heard Anfield as quiet as it was for this game. And I think a lot of it is because of the frustration and them just knowing that it maybe wasn't their day and Manchester United was just frustrating them with maybe how poor Manchester United played, surprised Liverpool. I mean, what what do you take away from the actual physical playing what of the play? game? What, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, Onana, MVP. That man kept this game so that the ball is in play for, what, 55 minutes? He must have wasted a half hour by himself. Virgil van Dijk <laughs> addressed him in the, in the uh, tunnel afterwards. Looked him in the face, and then he goes, because of you, we only played a half-hour game. Onana turned back. His response was nothing but a smirk. Like, are you kidding me? Absolute shithousery from Onana, but I love it. I mean, that's that's what you got to do when you're playing a team that's clearly, clearly better than you that game. But other than that, I mean, the you're going to see someone in the in the news, Mr. Michael Oliver. There was a red card at the end of that game, which I think was absolutely bullshit, hogwash, tomfoolery nonsense. It was a double yellow in the span of 10 seconds on Dallo and Diego uh, Dallo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was the ball's running back. It's in stoppage time. Dallo kicks it off a of Sala. And it is, this is a fact. It is Manchester United ball. And the referee gives it to Liverpool right away. Dallo explodes at the referee, punches the air toward him, gets the yellow deserved. And then he turns his back, starts walking away and punches the air one more time to no one. Just a little bit of emotions in stoppage time after a very, very chippy game. And Michael Oliver looks at him and goes, nah, fuck you, and takes out another yellow card. Red card, you're off the field. It was 
nonsense. I mean, there has been some bad refereeing this season. This was just the coup de gras, the cherry on top. This was non uh, nonsense. Yeah. James, thoughts on that one? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think the icing on the top is that when you see the replay, the ball was it's very difficult to see as a sideline ref and and the center ref that that ball was out on Liverpool. I think it popped off of, uh, I forget who it popped off of. It might've popped off of Salah. I think you mentioned it before, but it, it was clearly off of a Liverpool player on the replay. So Diego, who made an exceptional play back there, and, and to be honest with you, was doing very well keeping Diaz at bay with Anthony, who actually showed up defensively as well. And we'll talk about, I think the, the problem with Liverpool in a second. And then, you know, next week we'll have Sean come on and we'll give him the first 30 minutes of the show to defend or agree <laughs> with our statements. But we have to take advantage of the opportunity when our, when our, you know, stat man and our Liverpool leader is, is out. But, you know, I think it's bullshit Two yellow cards. I think they were trying as hard as they could to give Liverpool this win because right before or directly after that, I think it was before, after Rashford had came in, Rashford had made a slide tackle, gotten clean ball and very minimal fall through contact right outside the box on the right hand side. And Michael Oliver awarded a penalty, uh, a free kick right outside the box to Liverpool. And I remember standing up because I think it was like the 85th minute that it happened. Yeah, that was deep. Yeah, that was it late. was late. It was the 85th minute. And I just remember getting up and I look at Julia, I go, that that's it. They just gave Liverpool the game. I was fully expecting a free kick specialist, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, to put a, a magisterial ball into the box or in the back of the net. And it just, Man, just I, like, I was a whew, big, big sigh of relief. Because at that point, obviously I want to see them Liverpool win while Sean's there. Um, but honestly, my block of the week was so far dead. It's like you, 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 we buried it, dug it up and then buried it two more times. That's how dead the lock of the week was. So at that point, I was just hoping for the title race result to be in, in Arsenal's favor, which eventually it was. Yeah, I mean, the stars were aligning. You know, Sean was there. It was Martin Odegaard's birthday. Of course yeah. they're going to give Liverpool the win. <laughs> of course. But, you know, say la vie. I think, you know, we can briefly just talk about the fact that Diaz uh, and Sobislai were were non-existent that game. I think that led to a lot of the issues that they had. Diaz made Anthony yeah, Diaz made Anthony and and Diego Dallo look like like the Barcelona back line, or, or of of old. I mean, they looked fantastic. And then unfortunately, Gravenberch, who we have been wanting to see a little bit more of, comes off of the pitch injured in the 61st minute. So not a great look for Liverpool, but. I think it's time to to let this dog lie and get into our rapid kicks and express acknowledgments for close games, great plays, and hot streak alerts. And we don't have too much here because we want to talk about the games coming next week. But to rattle them off real quick, we have uh, Newcastle United 3 versus Fulham. This is a, a pick-me-up for Newcastle, but really this bounce back at home is due to help from VAR reducing Fulham to 10 men, 10 men just, I think, 22 minutes into the game off of a Raul Jimenez aerial challenge, which you could clearly see was reckless, but not red card worthy when you watch the replay. I think if this was, to, you know, awarded a red card and then they go to VAR, I think it gets downgraded to a yellow card because Jimenez jumps up in the air, but he clearly pulls away before making initial contact. And it's really more of a coming together like an aerial challenge. It just happened to be Raul kind of took him out. I definitely think it was a yellow card, 
but in my opinion was wrong. And this, you know, changed the entirety of the game and ended Fulham's impressive three game, 13 goal streak and potentially unjustly reduces their attacking ability for the next few weeks because of Raul's, Raul's supposed karate kick, karate kid kick in the air and is now suspended. Dude, he must have been three feet off the ground. That was hilarious to watch. It <laughs> just lunged everything he had at him. Awesome. Awesome challenge. I'm so glad it happened. It's one of those ones you'll just see about. It looks like the 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 logo from like the bicycle kick. Like that man just off the ground. It's awesome. <laughs> of course it's a red card. He could have killed the man. Yeah, I I don't think I don't think it was. To be as fair, though, you're right. You're yeah, right. I don't think he it was did pull vicious. out. He tried once once he was airborne and you know, momentum had him going. He tried everything he could to just soften that blow. So yeah. I agree. It may not have been a red card, but I mean, do yourselves a favor, watch it. It's fantastic. It's hilarious. Yeah, we got we got two more here for the shout outs, and that's just Villa with a must happen comeback win to stay in the hunt and show great grit from coming from behind uh with their win over Brentford. Although another game that was helped in Villa's way with a red card issue to Brentford. This one, though, I do agree with the selection of a red card. This was higher up on the leg, a slide tackle on the ground. It's definitely more reckless. I think it was definitely, you know, borderline, but I think it was the correct call at the end of the day. And then finally, Kudus from West Ham with a brace and possibly the goal of the week. And in the wise words of Sean, is it time to consider Kudus as great as a great player that's already possibly too good to be at West Ham. I think this is just a little nod to the player, and especially since it's his first year in the English Premier League coming out and really impressing right off the bat. I think it took him one or two games to get kind of uh, acquainted with the system and the play style of English Premier League, but he's doing a great job and someone that we should keep an eye out for the rest of the season. But we rattle off a lot. We took a lot of time in that in that hot news in the weekend roundup. So we're going to blitz through the weekend look ahead and lock of the week when we return. Well, we have... A bunch of exciting games this weekend, but we're highlighting three for you with the marquee matchup of the weekend, obviously, and possibly the season. We'll talk about that last because we always save the best for last. But first, we'll talk about West Ham United versus Manchester United this Saturday at 7.30 a.m. at London Stadium. So a lot to talk about here. West Ham coming off of a great victory with three goals. We forgot to mention before, but Lucas Paqueta comes off with a hat-trick of assists to Kudus's brace. So a lot of positives there. Jared Bowen got back on the scoring sheet. He had been injured previously. West Ham has been in good form all season. They had a little bit of a bleep. Manchester United, still tons of injuries, but just came off of one of the strangest ties at the hardest spot in the entire English Premier League to play, arguably. And... You know, in history, if we look back to the past, West Ham have lost to new, I'm sorry, West Ham have lost to Manchester United three of the last four times they've played each other, right? You know, West Ham's ranked eighth in goals per match, but Manchester United's ranked 15th in goals per match. They haven't scored in their last three matches and haven't scored in two away matches. So it doesn't look very positive for them being the away side, but West Ham doesn't have the greatest home record, 
but as of late, they have been unbeaten in six home games. So to be honest with you, I think that this one is going to go to the home crowd. I think West Ham wins this game. I think it's either a 2-1 or 2-0 scoreline in West Ham's favor. But I definitely think that we get a brace from somebody or at least two goals from West Ham. And it all depends if Manchester United will be able to put one in the back of the net. But I think this one will go to West Ham. But a great looking game because if you look at the table, it's six versus seven. And if West Ham were to win, they would secure themselves three points clear of Manchester United. But if Manchester United were to do the same thing, they would be three points clear of West Ham. So very interesting game to watch. 7.30 in the morning. All right. I'll take the next one, James. Tottenham Hotspurs versus Everton. This is, not going to lie, I think this might be the second best matchup of the weekend. We got Everton coming off a four-game win streak, and we have Spurs on a two-game win streak right now. These are two very informed clubs. Very informed clubs. Uh, Richarlson, you guys know how I love Richarlson. He might be my favorite player in the Premier League at this point. Um, no, I fucking hate that guy. He's a piece of shit. But he's gotten three goals in two games. So he's he's clearly finding himself at the club. And Son is also back on track. He scored last game on the 4-1 thrashing of Newcastle, which is not easy to do. Beating Newcastle might not be, you know, the hardest thing to do. But scoring four on them is no joke. That is a solid defense that they have. So I think the, the Tottenham Hotspur offense is back on track. Um, it's, it's a shame what happened to Tottenham. They they started the season extremely hot. And they, they hit a little bad patch of games but the bad patch of games were against teams of very high caliber i mean they drew man city that's you know good for them they lost <laughs> <laughs> what they lost to aston villa you know they yeah it was a it was a tough patch and they, yeah. they were missing a lot of their key players yeah but you know they're back i i think that tottenham still has a chance to make a to make a run at the title at this point honestly they are not out of it they, they i mean it's not easy. It's not going to be easy. They have to take down a lot of teams. They can't really be affording to lose any more games this season. But with their current form, with Sun on track, with Richie on track, it's it's doable. Kulisevsky's playing fantastic also, by the way. He's, yeah, absolutely. His goal this weekend should have been saved. But when you hit the ball at 100 miles an hour straight at the goalie and he falls over on his ass backwards and the ball hits the back of the net, you clearly did something Great look right. for America. Thank you, Matty T. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be an awesome game. Spurs are home for it. I think Spurs beat Everton. I think they end their four-game win streak. Everton proved to the league that you can take away 10 points. We're not going anywhere, but it's got to add in some way. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it before, and Everton right now are sitting one point below first place Bournemouth and Villa in current form points. So out of the last five games... They were able to take away 12 points. And one key thing that I think we overlooked slightly, but Yves Basuma received his second red card of the season and is now out for the next four matches for Spurs. That's a massive cog in the middle of the pitch for, for Spurs who are already missing James Madison. So it's asking a lot of questions now of, of Ange Postacoglu of what he's going to do with Basuma out, what you're going to you know kind of compromise to, to do there. So... I think at the end of the day, with the current form that Everton is in, this is going to be, and I think you're, you highlighted properly, probably the second most anticipated game or the most thrilling one 
of the weekend. So we'll see. But Eves, if you didn't see his red card, Basuma's red card over the weekend, it was like yeah, it's a red card. the most dumb oh, fucking God. thing I've ever seen in my entire life. They were up to nothing against Forrest, and he pretty much goes knee shopping and just takes out the knees of the Forrest defender it, it, or forward. It was totally unnecessary. It was not required whatsoever. You secured the game. Forrest had had generated as many opportunities as there are aquatic animals in a desert. They had nothing going for them. So it was just completely pointless. Did you plan that but, fun? The chopping the forest? Uh, that was well oh, done. Oh, no, I did. Okay, that well was pretty good. That no, good I planned one. the aquatic animals in the desert, but I did not I did not, did not. not uh, mean to do the chopping of, of uh, forest knees. That was pretty good. That was Thanks, well Kyle. played. Yeah, of course. Good shout out for me next week. But <laughs> the... Very, very anticipated marquee of the matchup. And I think before the season started, I don't think we were anticipating it being this big of a matchup for the season. But we are playing the second-place team versus the first-place team, Liverpool versus Arsenal. This is Saturday at 12.30 at Anfield. Again, Sean will be in attendance. So if you know his history so far of ties continues, I wouldn't be upset about that. But this is going to be a very tight game. It all depends on what Liverpool team shows up. I think if the capable second-place Liverpool team shows up, this will be a tie 1-1. I think it's very difficult to go to Anfield and take away a win. Uh, we had not done that for many, many years so since 2020, I believe, was the first time. That we won last time, and that was in the Community Shield. It was a 6-5 victory at Anfield. And last season, we tied 2-2 at Anfield and 1-3-2 at home. So history is definitely in Liverpool's side of things. But in current form, if Arsenal plays the way they did this weekend and Liverpool plays the way this weekend, I think that Arsenal will have complete and utter domination. And I have to say these very aggressive terms while Sean isn't here but complete domination in the center of the pitch. I just don't think Liverpool has the the key players to go man-on-man on, man on Arsenal with Kai Havertz in, in really good form right now. Martin Udegaard back and healthier is phenomenal. And Declan Rice being one of the summer signings of the season is, is just going to outdo their center of the pitch nine times out of ten. And the only thing that will help them is if Mo Salah, who is currently and has always been I yield to you, Sean, on that one. Probably the best right wing in the English Premier League for the past few seasons since he's been in the Premier League with Liverpool. If Mo is on on point and firing on all cylinders and Diaz has some resemblance of a pulse out there for this game to help lighten the load on Salah so that Arsenal has to fight two fronts, I think it will be a close game. But if Arsenal only has to worry about Salah and they're able to focus their defense which is the best in the league based off of clean sheets. Sean will say it's Virgil van Dijk and his squad, and I don't disagree with that. I think they're very close in in defensive ability. But if Arsenal only has to worry about Mo Salah, I think this game could easily turn into an Arsenal win. But at the moment, I think this is going to end in another draw for the boys, and I think we will see for the first time this season Aston Villa remain in first place at the end of the game week. So very, very insane top-of-the-table possibilities out there. 
Again, a reminder, Arsenal's in first place with 39 points, but only by one point over Liverpool and Villa, both with 38. So a tie for this game and a win for Villa would see them to the top of the league, which uh, I'll shout out Logan Wolf, one of my good friends I've, I've met recently in life to know as a Villa fan. So I'm going to try and get you on the podcast if this were to occur. So until then, we will see who is the top of the league at the end of the week, and we'll see if Sean is coming home a happy camper with a new Scouse accent, or he comes back and doesn't want to do the podcast anymore. It's going to be one of the two things. I'm so Either excited. one will happen. I'm so excited for this game. There's one thing that I can see happening, which is if Arsenal scores first, I mean, we're looking at two teams on two completely different emotional wavelengths right now. Arsenal is happy. They are cruising. They are in smiles and good spirits. They're playing their game, and they're having fun. Liverpool's fucking furious right now. I mean, they are taking shots at the opponent's teams after the game. Van Dyke just said, man, you was buzzing with their one point. Like, okay, you're, you're in any position with one title to call teams like Manchester United <laughs> bad. Go fuck yourself, That's going to boil Sean's blood real yeah, fast. Yeah, okay. Like Van Dyke, know your fucking place, period. But I think if Arsenal <laughs> scores first, look for at least one red card this game. They're going to come out so angry. I'm so excited. We're looking at at least 15 fouls. I dare say 20 fouls this game. Look for six yellows and a red minimum. Very exciting. If Liverpool scores first, disregard everything I said. Then it, <laughs> they'll, they'll play their game normally. But I'm telling you, I'm really hoping that like you know a second minute goal from Arsenal will lead to the greatest game of all time. It's gonna be a lot. Of is fun. is the yellow card? And I almost I almost skipped it here. But is the yellow card accumulation this game your lock of the week? Or before we sign off, what we got? No, no, no lock of the week, fellas. <laughs> so. I'm clearly taking the back seat to the lock of the week this season. I'm one and three. The other boys are two and three. So I gotta Yeah, not too I, far I behind need us. to pick something that's going to hit. There's one game that's going to happen, and it's Brighton to beat Palace at plus one twenty odds. One hundred percent. Brighton just came off a loss. Deserby said it himself. They played their game. There's not out of form by any means. They just happen to play the most informed team, in my opinion, in the Premier League, which is Arsenal. So and that game is Thursday. That, that is game a is Thursday. Game. So I also think Palace is coming off of a fluke win with a 93rd minute penalty against Pep Guardiola's retardation this week, which shouldn't happen again. So yeah, I mean Palace is at home, but I still think Brighton comes out and they know they need to win, and they're not out of form by any means. I think Brighton wins this game. I think that's I think that's a good good shout. I think their away form, you know, could be better. But to properly sign off this 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 podcast with Sean's absence, I meant to mention it before because it would be criminal without it, but since they're part of your lock of the week, one thing to consider is how good Michael Elise is, how he has been, and how good he was during the game versus Man City. And then, of course, for Sean, his boy Eze will most likely play more than the five-minute cameo in which he played exceptionally well against Man City over the weekend in this game. He did. So I'll Crystal give him Palace. Hell yeah, he did. He looked good. Yep. So the silky smooth baller that is Eze should be making somewhat of a return more regularly into this lineup, possibly start the game, not sure, but we'll find out Thursday. And until then, and until after this weekend, everyone enjoy the rest of their week and enjoy the footy fun. Till next time. Cheers.